On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space, I have turned off all notifications of social media and I started by turning off all notifications of my likes because that like is that dopamine hit function that brings you back in. Oh, Jennifer and like 15 others. Who do you expect the others? I want to see who get, who giving me support, but you know what? There's support, no disrespect to Jennifer and the 15 others. That don't matter if you don't support yourself first, because the validation that you need is from yourself. If you don't validate yourself, you can't expect other people be out here validating you. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your impactful podcast and how you can generate multiple streams of income. You can visit podcastwithterry.com to register for free. I hope to see you there. All right, lady, we have a very special guest in Cultivating Her Space. Isa Watson is an expert in the human connection space, named one of Inc.'s 30 Under 30, as well as a top 100 female entrepreneur of 2020 and one of the 100 MIT alumni in tech in 2021. Isa is a physical scientist turned social scientist, a Caribbean girl in America. Isa is an entrepreneur author, skydiver, and classical pianist. She is the co-founder and CEO of Squad, the fun way to build a world of your closest friends away from social media. We had Isa on the show a few seasons ago. To be exact, it was season 14, episode seven, cultivating deeper connections in your squad. But today we are chatting with Isa to learn more about her new book, Life Beyond Likes logging off your screen and into your life. Isa, welcome back to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back with you, ladies. We are so excited. We're going to have so much fun today. We are looking forward to this conversation. And so we are going to jump right in with our quote of the day, which, of course, you know, we were lucky enough to get copies of the book. And so we were diving in in preparation. And so our quote of the day comes from the book. We have to be more self-aware about how the internet impacts us. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say that one more time for the people in the back. We have to be more self-aware about how the internet impacts us. All right. 
Isa, when you hear that quote, and and I and we pulled this quote from a larger quote, and let me know if you want me to read the larger quote, but when you hear this segment, what comes up for you? What comes up for me is the fact that we have lost so much of our, of our identity and this persona that we've created online. I think that social media was meant to be a connection platform, but what it did is it democratized personal brand. And, you know, we end up comparing our whole lives to people's curated highlight reels. And so, you know, when I think about how the internet has affected us, there's a myriad of ways, right? It's made us you know, we, we get things at a drop of a dime. So that instant gratification, that slow, hard work sometimes that like, you know, it even takes to build friendships we're not familiar with. All the things that are on the internet are generally things that people want to be on the internet, or at least the things that people put on the internet, right? And so I think that, you know, we can very often fall into feelings of inadequacy when we see these people doing things on a timeline that's not the timeline that matched our mindset or what we thought would be. You know, I talk about how Vera Wang didn't create her first wedding dress until she was 40. And so, you know, I think that, you know, there's a lot on the internet and how we consume it and then contextualize it in the context of our lives is something we just have to, you know, make sure we heighten our awareness around. You just made me think about something I said, and we're going to we're going to circle back to your origin story. But I have to say this, you know, sometimes there can be some feelings of guilt and shame and judgment. I know, especially from myself and my personal journey when it comes to social media and even at this big ass age that I'm at right now. I have to take fast from social media. And sometimes I feel conflicted because the selfie, sometimes the selfie without the filter just don't be hitting the same way the selfie with the filter hits with the glow and blocking out my blemishes and stuff like that. And sometimes I think that there can be a misconception that, oh, this social media stuff, the way that it impacts people is just for like Generation Z, right? Like it's not for the, the older folks, the more mature folks. So I just want to ask you, what is what are some of the most interesting data points that you found when reading? or when writing your book, and I'm sure like rereading it as well. You know, I think that from a, how social media impacts us, there was a UPenn study that was conducted a few years ago that revealed that our adolescents, this was an adolescent study, have unrealistic expectations about what they should own, what they should look like, and what they should achieve. And that has resulted in unprecedented levels of anxiety. And so when you think about, hey, this filter is making my nose look more European, my forehead more European, all the things, right? That becomes the center net neutral. And then that becomes what we aim for. That's why people start to like look alike a lot more in the last five years than we did like 15 years ago. There was a lot more diversity of looks. But, you know, quite frankly, I think that friendship is a huge component of how social media has impacted us as well, because what's happened is that we conflate connection with consumption. And the reality is that 90% of social media users, according to the 1990 rule, are simply lurkers. They're not out here connecting with people. They're just like scrolling, 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 consuming the content, right? That doesn't mean because I saw your post, by the way, I said consume and lurk. I didn't like your post. I saw your post. Oh, okay, cool. Like 
I know what's up with you and we're friends. No, like friendship takes, I talk about in the book, like, you know, unconditional presence, unconditional support and trust. And these are things that take time, that take investment. And social media has really conflated our perception of what friendship is. And so I think that there's a lot of data that I present in the book that speaks to A, how social media makes us feel, but B, we have these really big feelings of loneliness. And a third of millennials actually say that they don't have one close friend. That's social media. That's living in the digital age and letting it manage you instead of you managing it. Wow. Ooh, that's a lot of data for us to digest. <laughs> I have a lot of questions <laughs> now. <laughs> we would like for you to share with our audience your origin story. And you talk about throughout the book, you weave in pieces of your origin story, which I found was beautiful and how you use your use your own life experiences to illustrate certain points around social media. Mm -hmm. But tell us about what led to you writing this book. So who you are, who that Caribbean girl in America is that decided to write this book about the impact of social media. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a big like Caribbean Southern family. My dad was this old school engineer where he, his philosophy was like, if you can't build it, then you shouldn't be using it. Right. And so buying me the parts of my computer to build my computers from the time I was seven, that kind of just led me to be this, you know, young builder, which landed me my first gig in the chemistry labs at UNC Chapel Hill when I was 14 years old as a research chemist. And fast forward, ended up being one of the youngest published chemists in the world at 1920. And I got my degrees in chemistry and mathematics from Hampton University, got my master's in biochem from Cornell, then kind of fell into Wall Street via my MBA MIT where I supported the C-suite. I was a kind of a strategic right-hand person to the C-suite at J.P. Morgan Chase. And my time at J.P. Morgan was one that was very interesting. You know, obviously it's a really great place to work, great training ground. But from a personal perspective, J.P. Morgan, you know, I had a lot of big responsibilities and I was like on a real fast track and I got real caught up and lost in the sauce, right? I was so focused on that next achievement unlocked, right? I had you know, top, top awards, this top 30 under 30, that, you know, top 100, this. And I was like, Ooh, I'm getting all these top awards. And like, I post them on social media and boom, people are like, Ooh, yeah, you, you fly, you smart. I'm like, okay, that's cute. You know? And got lost in the sauce so much that I, I feel like I kind of neglected my real life in a big way some of those stabilizing forces. So during my time at JP Morgan, my parents sponsored a bus trip for kids to visit Hampton every year in this particular year. The bus ran off a straight road, flipped over and ejected both my parents out the front window. And my dad didn't survive that. And when I say I hit rock bottom, I hit rock bottom. There was no buoyancy back up. It was just a plop. And one of the things that I realized in retrospect was that I was so focused on these achievement unlocks and achieving this next thing that I had ended up being a, like a horse with the blinders on. I couldn't see anything else and I wasn't investing in my real life. And so when I hit rock bottom, you know, and not having invested in some of those stabilizing relationships, my friendships, you know, my real life in a big way, because I was so focused on this persona I was putting out on social media, 
I started to talk about that a bit more and realize that, hey, I'm not the only one that that's having these feelings of loneliness. I'm not the only one that's like getting confused about who I am on, on the internet versus who I am in real life. And so I was like, you know what? I think that social can use a lot more innovation. And I think we were at an inflection point. So I left JP Morgan to start Squad. And Squad, as you said, you know, we say it's the easy and most fun way to hang out with your close friends every day, you know, away from social media. And you can only have up to 12 people in your squad. But, you know, I, I people, squad users, they always say like squad is the corner of my phone that I just don't have to screen. I love it so much. But, you know, as far as where the book came from, I started talking about the origin story of Squad more on the speaker circuit. And the, the Q&A always went over by a lot. And, you know, people will always come up to me and they said, hey, Isaac, have you written a book about this? Have you written a book about this? And I was like, no, I haven't. And I happened to be at dinner one night with a woman I call my mentor friend, Rebecca Minkoff, who's a fashion designer. And I said, you know, Rebecca, they're saying I should write a book. I don't know. I honestly don't know if people care what I have to say. And Rebecca was like, girl, no, you write that book. <laughs> and she connected with her agent the next day and, and the rest is history. And so, you know, I wrote the book in response to so many people saying to me that they really wanted to see this in an organized format and concentrated format and just to kind of delve in a bit more. And, you know, what I'm hoping for the book is that even if it's just one person, I would love to, you know, empower people to live their lives more authentically and inspire them to invest in the right parts of their lives, the parts of their lives that allow them to center their joy. Because quite frankly, the world is too void of joy right now, but that's by choice. It doesn't have to be that way. Beautifully stated, Isa. Oh my goodness. Can you talk to us a little bit about your writing process? Like, What was your writing process like? And did you have any special rituals or routines that really helped you? Because writing a book can be an arduous task. Like, It's a lot, right? <laughs> writing a book is arduous. And quite frankly, my writing process, some people write, let's talk about cadence first. Some people write, they're like, oh, I want to do 2,500 words a week. Da, 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 da. I couldn't do that. Like in order for me to write this book, I had to isolate myself from the other parts of my life and just really get deep into my thoughts and be reflective in what I was putting out there, how I was telling these stories, et cetera, because it was really important to me to marry the storytelling and the research because I just thought it made the points a bit more effective. And so I would go away. There were two times I, I went away for a week and just wrote. So I wrote, came, got wave of feedback. That feedback was intense. Went away for another week, just wrote. And then from then on, it was editing. But I will say from a ritual perspective, writing a book, much like any other big endeavor, can bring out some pretty crazy insecurities in you. You're like, you know what? What am I doing? Like all my friends with PhDs, they all say like at some point in that PhD process, they were like, baby, what is you doing? Like, is this <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? And so I, I kind of found that, found myself feeling like that a little bit in, in the book writing process. And one of the rituals that I established, because I'm so quick to criticize myself, because I'm so quick to do that negative self-talk, 
I established a routine of writing a love letter to myself every Monday, telling myself that I was more than enough, giving myself the pep talk that I am so good at giving other people. But then when it comes to myself, baby, like I am my biggest critic. You know, like if people criticize me, I'm like, oh, I already, I already criticized myself on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I be, I be, I watch, I beat you to the punch. You know, I, I had to do it in chunks, especially because this book was not emotionally draining, but I had to tap into my deeper emotions in a way that was very honest and, and you know, pure. And then, you know, writing the love letter to myself every Monday to encourage more positive self-talk, which I feel like a lot of people, but especially women can do. I love that. Writing a love letter to yourself every Monday, that's beautiful. And I think what you brought up is a, is a very real point, right? That when you are writing and when you mentioned like your friends with PhDs, like it immediately brought me back to <laughs> writing my dissertation and just the, what that process was like and then getting a PhD in that process and just that mm-hmm. constant and various points throughout my career that questioning of what am I doing? Do I belong here? What mm, is this supposed to be? Is it, am I supposed to be the one doing this? And so I love that idea of writing that love letter to yourself to serve as that reminder that yes, you are this, this thing that you are doing right now is what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And that it is, this is for you. And when you think about that, that part of that process of having to be kind of introspective, right? Because as you, throughout the book, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, you share parts of your personal experiences with social media. Mm -hmm. What was that like to go back and relive moments from like, 2015 or 2010. Yeah. What was that like? I thought to myself, you know, I pride myself on just like really keeping it real. Like you see what you get. And then when I had to revisit that, I was like, damn, I'm really full of shit. Like I was really full of shit out here. Like, you know, from some of the things that I was experiencing, bouts of depression, conflicts with my family, conflicts with my friends, you know, tragedies, etc. Whatever it was, it was masked by this, you know, perfected, like curated, like, hey, I'm fabulous. I'm in LA at some Grammy party. Hello. I'm out here like, you know, Usher's right here, Smith Beach right here. We out here like chopping it up on the dance floor, you know, like, I was like, damn, I was really full of shit. And I wasn't, I'm not proud of that, you know, but I think I was serving a role as opposed to being myself. And, you know, I, 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 right now, first of all, I'm not really a big poster on social media. Um, I'm not a big consumer. I don't even scroll on Instagram, to be honest. Like, 
And, but I, I post whatever I want to post because I feel like posting it. If it gets likes, it gets likes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But what I will tell you is that I have turned off all notifications of social media. And I started by turning off all notifications of my likes because that like is that dopamine hit function that brings you back in. Oh, Jennifer and like 15 others. Who do you expect others? I want to see who get, who giving me support. But you know what? There's support. No disrespect to Jennifer and the 15 others. That don't matter if you don't support yourself first, because the validation that you need is from yourself. If you don't validate yourself, you can't expect other people to be out here validating you. And so it's not that like, you know, I don't care that I was in a front 15 years like myself, but like I put this stuff out there because I feel good about what I put out there. And that's that's it. And so my relationship with social media is, is so much more, it's, it's just different. And I am showing up as, a, I'm like, I'm walking the walk that I thought I was walking or that I told myself I was walking earlier when I was just full of shit. You just answered the question I was going to ask you. And I have a bunch more. I'm looking at your book right now. And one of the quotes that I just want to call out here, Isa, is the following. So it says, our real lives are messy as fuck. And when I say messy, I mean really, really messy. To drive the point home, check out a few things that happened in my life between 2010 and 2015. And so you begin to list off, I mean, parting ways with your childhood best friend, having a really messy breakup that left you embarrassed, being depressed, dropping out of the PhD program at Cornell, all of these things, right? And then you start to talk about the amazing things on social media, like 30 under 30, right? Top 100 MIT alumni and tech. I mean, on a dance floor with Usher, all these things. I wanted to ask you, let me just say your transparency and your honesty is liberating and powerful. And even as you're speaking, I'm on mute, so I don't interrupt because I'm just making all this noise over here. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) me too. It's not just me, right? It's just so liberating for others. So you talked a bit about some of the boundaries you have in place with social media. You talked a bit about your relationship to social media and how you engage. What would you say to those folks that find themselves with thousands of likes? thousands of friends. They lit on social media, but they're lonely in real life. They haven't cultivated those friendships. So in addition to squad, because that's definitely one option, what are some other ways that those people can re-engage with their real life and cultivate those relationships if they've kind of fallen off track? You know, it's funny you say that because some of my most lonely friends are the ones with millions of followers on social media. And they're like, you know, they, they got all the following, they got all the sponsorships, all the things and the things. And then like, we catch up and we, you know, we chop it up and they're like, girl, like it, I'm so like depressed. I'm lonely, all the things. Right. And so that, that's always that when I, when I first kind of started to see that pattern, it, it struck me, you know, but one of the things that, I have always said is that there is power and love and comfort and true, genuine connection. The issue that we face is that we have become not just, you know, lazy, so to speak, about, you know, maintaining our friendships and investing in those, but we've also become addicted to social media and the dopamine that we get. And so like, I mean, if we're going to keep it a buck, like, you know what I'm saying? Your uncle Johnny is a crackhead, right? And, you know, (laughs) like somebody over here is doing something else. Uncle Johnny going to focus on the crackhead stuff. He's going to do, even though he knows like this other healthy stuff over here 
is, you know, more helpful for him, right? Once you get that addiction, especially like I said, from that dopamine, from that hit, and keep in mind, the people who grew to like millions of followers, they grew getting likes and shares and engagement and all the things, and they know what drives that engagement. And so they double down on that. And when you double down on that, then you're actually kind of honestly leaving less room for other things to flourish, to nourish, to be nurtured in your life. And so I always say that there's a lot of power in investing in really genuine relationships. And the last thing I'll say is just find your joy centers. You know, a lot of people don't even think to try different things. Like I used to travel all the time. I'd be like, oh, what about France? Go to Germany. And I, that was like my replenishment. Now I'm like, child traveling exhausts me. I've been to 40 countries. I don't need to go to no more countries as, as much as I used to, right? I'd be out the country every year because, you know, whew, America. And then, then at one point, you know, I really loved, let's say like playing tennis or other sports. And now I'm a skydiver. I, you know, train, I jump out of planes every other weekend. And I have such a meditative space when I jump out of a plane, because I'm looking down at the world and the the view is just something that is unreal that you can't, like, you just can't experience unless you just jump out of a plane. And the one thing that I, I think to myself, I'm like, man, you see that ground down there? Look at all them ground problems and people got. I'm up here, like, I'm chilling. I'm like, <laughs> I found my meditative space. And so, but I had to invest in like trying a bunch of different stuff to, to find my joy centers, right? The joy centers are beyond just going to brunch with your girlfriends. And sometimes the joy center is rest. You know, one of the reasons me and one of my ex-boyfriends did not really make it is because he didn't understand the concept of rest. It's like, I don't need to be, I don't need to have like an alarm at 6 a.m. on a Saturday to like be productive and get the laundry done to like do what? Do nothing at noon? Like, nah, bruh, I need rest. Okay. And so, you know, I, I think that it's the friendship, it's the finding your joy centers. Those are the things that I think will deliver, you know, huge returns, huge returns on people's joy and happiness. That is so powerful. It's like literally relearning how to be a human, like in real life and not for, you know, focus on this persona on social media. And I resonate. I resonate with that so much. I think about my happiest moments. They're off social media. And usually when I'm taking a fast from social media. So thank you for just offering these amazing tips. Now I said, if you remember from last time, as a point in the interview, we shifted up the energy a little bit and we want to do that again this time. And because we recognize, appreciate and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be bougie, and classy and ratchet you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music if you so choose so we want to invite you to the OU Blatchett segment so Isa do you take on the challenge absolutely let's do it (laughs) all right all right so just like last time we're going to ask you three questions we're going to share three sentence completions and we have a photo pulled up of you on social media we actually have one photo today and I think you're going to love this photo (laughs) And we want you to share more context about this photo that we would not know just by looking at it. So we're going to jump on into the first question. And this question is, what song gets you on the dance floor at the club or party? What's that one song where you're like, oh, I'm about to go. I'm about to go. (laughs) Get on my level. What? Get on my level. Who? Get on my level. You you would never, never, ever, ever. I'm trying not to cuss. 
Get on my level. What? Get on my level. Get on my level. Hey. 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 You know, when I used to like be in corporate America and people were messing me, I would I would blast it and I like like get on my level but you know yeah i love it i love it yeah i love it (laughs) okay what's your favorite hairstyle on yourself honestly i think the bob like i'm i like i haven't worn a bob in so long and i'm like okay she cute she's sexy she do all the things she versatile you know, I love the versatility and I love the edginess. And I think for a long time I tried to, you know, like mask my edginess. But I'm 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 walking in all of my truths and if it's too much for anyone, they can just choke. Boom. Period. Just like that. And Period. that vibe is giving. Y'all gotta come on the Patreon to see this vibe. Cause it's just <laughs> it's the body for me. It's the healthiness for me. It's just mm, it's just mm. flowing. Okay. Mm. okay. I see. <laughs> Our last question in this segment, Isa, is what's the best compliment you've ever received? The best compliment I've ever received, hands down, is that you are such a vibe and I love your energy. Because I think that we focus so much on these accolades and all the things. And honestly, these accolades, they're a commodity. But when you shift the energy in a room and you shift the energy of a person and what they're experiencing and feeling in a given day, honey, like I'm like, you know what? I appreciate you. Because I, I really just try to show up with myself. I'm not like, yo, let me bring in this like energy to the room, you know? But the fact that like a lot of people respond to me like that, it's just, it's very... I don't know. It's like endearing to me. You're also really funny. I low-key feel like yes. you should do comedy. Like you are hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yeah. When you said that that was your comp, that that was the compliment, like, and I, I felt that I was like, yes, you are <laughs> such a vibe. Yes. I try. It's so funny. My mom was like, yo, some of this lady from church called me and said you was funny. And I'm like, what? I'm like, are you hating today? Are you hating today? Because you need to go back to church and apologize for the unkind words. You, <laughs> Please <laughs> don't hate. So. Total comedian. I see it. I see it. <laughs> and so now we will move to sentence completion. Okay. If you asked me to cook a meal, I'd make cauliflower rice with peas and burnt sage butter salmon okay Ooh, i need explanation that sounds really delicious that's my go-to <laughs> i i don't like to eat a lot of carbs but i like carbs where i can cheat right so cauliflower sweet potato healthy carbs things like that but i'm you know i'm caribbean so we eat a lot of rice and peas and green peas, right? And so mix that in burnt butter sage. So take the sage, butter, cook the salmon. And then actually I then take the butter that's left and put it a little bit over the cauliflower peas. Yeah, it's it's, it's very easy, but it's like super elite. Like, like I can invite Barack and Michelle over and they'd be like, there's one of this, you know what I'm saying? And they, I'm, they got their own chefs, like, but they will love this. <laughs> it's hitting. I love that. I'm like, where, where are you located again? I said, just in case we need to meet up for dinner, because um, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Okay. I'm in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, okay. We got to go to the East Coast down. We got to go to the East Coast, girl. Yeah, we, we got that. We're going to make that happen. <laughs> so this next one, get ready for this next sentence completion, Isa. So the sentence completion is blank 
would make me go from zero to 100 real quick? Mm. <laughs> a lack, it's the lack of accountability for me. And honey, let me tell you, it's triggering as hell as a black woman when we are held to unrealistically high standards all the time. We are constantly picking up the slack of other people. And then somebody will have the caucasity, sorry, audacity to- You right the first time, you right. <laughs> to be like, oh, like to gaslight me, to not take accountability for the things that you didn't do. Nah, I'm good on that. It's a lack of accountability for me. That shit is triggering. I, and I talked to my therapist about it. We working on it. But I know that's right. She said that's it's a capacity. That's it's a capacity for me. All right. Our final sentence completion. I was really happy when. I was really happy when I took my mom to the Four Seasons in Nevis a few months ago and gave her the first physical copy of my book. And my mother grew up in segregated schools in North Carolina until seventh grade. She like couldn't make the couldn't be on the cheerleading team because she didn't pass the brown paper bag test. She, you know, had you know six kids, made it work, you know. And my mom is one of those people who the 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 deck was stacked against her in, in a lot of ways. And so for me to accomplish what I have, you know, like Hampton, Cornell, MIT, to achieve the professional heights that I have, you know, dis- like despite, you know, my parents basically both coming from nothing. So to take my mom back to the place where I st- like wrote the first half of the book and also to take her back to the place where I, I don't know. I just, it, it was just, it was very touching. And, and just to see her reaction, right? And so I would say I was really happy with that. That is so amazing. And you are just, I always get excited when we get to talk to you guys. You were just the epitome of Black Girl Magic. And I'm just like, go ahead. Come on. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so real quick, guys. So we have, yes, we have this picture. Hold up. I'm just going to show it to you. And if you can just provide one, an overview of what the picture is for folks that are not watching on Patreon, and then tell us something about the photo that we would not know just by looking at it. I'm going to go ahead and put it on the big screen right now and take it away, Isa. Oh, wow. You guys found my nudes. (laughs) Okay. Good job. So this was actually when I was a newly licensed skydiver. I am, I'm going to dock on somebody. So you can see their hands coming from the bottom of the frame and I'm flying from the top of the frame. And basically docking and skydiving means being able to fly to somebody with not too much force that you knock into them, but with enough force that you get close to grab their hands and then you fly together as a unit. And so this was when I was actually training with one of my coaches who I do tunnel with and I was just practicing changing levels and docking. So yeah, it's one of my skydiving photos. What does that even, I've never been skydiving. What is it, what was your first time like? Were you scared? Were you nervous? Like tell us something about skydiving that the average person wouldn't know if they haven't gone skydiving. I think the scariest part is like the first two seconds of getting out of the plane the first time. Quite frankly, I had wanted to try it. People were like, 
how'd you get into that? Like when I tell black people I skydive, sometimes I get a raise of this eyebrow, like the side. They be like, what is what this girl doing out here? Like, what kind of what kind of people she been around? Like, what kind of cult we lose her to? And I basically, like I said, I always want to try it. I tried it, and when I tell you, like I looked at my video of my first skydive experience. I have never seen my face look more peaceful in like the last 10 years. Like the level of peace and just the way that I was just at ease. I was, I was just so, I can't explain it. I mean, I went to meditation class for years and I never found that level of meditative space in class. And so, I don't know. Like I think that, you know, just full disclosure, we jump out the plane between 13,000 and 14,000 feet. We're falling for about 60 seconds, deploy our parachutes at about 4,000 feet, and then kind of fly down, which takes a, just navigate our parachutes down and land, which takes a, a few minutes. The joy that I get from skydiving, the mental reset that I get from skydiving, my anxiety was so high last week for a variety of reasons, including like the book. And I just, I went skydiving over the weekend and I came back and I was like, okay, no more panic attacks this week. <laughs> I'm good, you know? I have it together. Wow, that is beautiful. Yeah. You know, I this opportunity to find your joy, to find your peace, and to know that it's not connected with social media and that you really are like out here like living, right? So as we jump back into some of the interview questions, let's just continue to keep it 100. You spend your time skydiving. That's your, that's your joy now, right? Mm-hmm. How much time would you say you actually spend on social media these days and versus the amount of time that you dedicate to living outside of that room, like actually just living your real life? Well, I think it's important to note that I'm not a social media abolitionist. Like I'm not like, oh my God, social media got to go away. I'm just more of the, you got to make sure you know how to manage it so that it doesn't manage you. And from a skydiving and social media ratio perspective, it is so high on the skydiving side. Like I, so I, I think I probably am on Twitter the most because I'm like looking at what's trending. I'm like, oh, Kyrie got traded to the Mavericks. Okay, cool, bet, bet, whatever. Or okay, the people in California, like this is what's going on with the with the weather. But like Instagram. I never scroll. I only go to Instagram because people, my friends DM me and I DM them back. <laughs> I respond to messages on Instagram and I'll post, but I don't consume on Instagram because it's just, it's a toxic place for me. And it's one of those things where I think when I, when I say you have to understand what social media does to you, like honey, from I'm from North Carolina. I love me some Krispy Kreme, okay? Like, and it's real cute. It's real tasty. And you get, you put it in the microwave for like 7.5 seconds, baby. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> mm. But I eat that first Krispy Kreme donut. Yes. That Krispy Kreme donut. Yes. But if I eat like four Krispy Kreme donuts, I've enjoyed every single one, every single second. But then like five minutes later, I'm like, damn, I feel like shit. That is my relationship with Instagram. That's my relationship with TikTok and most of social media. And so I think for me, 
I I don't want to be consuming a bunch of stuff where at, after a while, it just makes you feel like shit. Like that's not my life. That's not my real life. And so, yeah, I spend more of my time on squad, obviously, but just, you know, as a philosophy, way more time connecting with my friends and talking to my friends. I talk to my friends every day, you know, like at least five of my friends every day. How do you balance? Like, cause you're so busy. You do so much. How do you balance entrepreneurship, growing your business, your own mental health? How do you balance that? And as you answer that, I'm going to listen and rethink of that next question. <laughs> you know, I think it's this term balance. Is it balance or is it integration? Right. Sometimes I even think about that for myself because my mental health impacts my business. My business impacts my mental health. My relationships impact my mental health. My relationships impact my business. Right. And I think that part of it is showing up as authentically as I can all the time. You know, like I, my, one of my coworkers just left the office. And she was like, you look stressed. I was like, yeah, I have a knot in my stomach right now. I feel very anxious this week. Well, I mean, what I'm supposed to say, like, yeah, no, girl, I'm good. Like, da, 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 da. I wasn't good in that moment. I wasn't. And so, you know, I, I think for me, my parents used to always, and, you know, bless their souls. They, they tell you what, they teach you what they know best, right? They were like, work is work and home is home. Make sure you don't be sharing no personal stuff out at work. Like they don't judge you and you're not going to get promoted and all things, right? But I got to show up as myself because I, I got 46 chromosomes. You got 46 chromosomes. You know, Susie over here got 46 chromosomes, right? And so I'm a whole person. And I think that for me, like what I do is I just like I schedule like the same energy that we have to scheduling our reviews, to scheduling our weekly deep dives, to scheduling, you know, a myriad of meetings that we have each week. Why don't we have that same energy when scheduling our friend dates? Why don't we have that same energy when scheduling the things that we know are mentally resetting for us? Right. And so what I've done is I like, I don't switch up. People are like, oh, uh, my schedule, da, 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 da. But then when it comes to investing in our friendships, when it comes to investing in their centers of joy, they're like, oh, if I get to it. Nah, it's not if you get to it. Right. Because you got to do the whole you all the time. Like you don't get a part of you that just leaves because it's work hours. No, that's just not how like humans work. And so, you know, I always tell people like I, I date my friends. Like I, 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 my, I learned this from my best friend, Kizzy, but I make all my friends take a love language quiz and I understand like what's the love language they accept and what's the love language they speak, right? Some of my friends are really big gift friends and like I send them things when they like, I send them like small things when they are feeling bad and they like love it, right? I'm not a gift person. So it's like, but I'm trying to speak their love language. And some of my friends are like access service people. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send a task grabber person over to handle this thing that you've been complaining about, girl. I got you, right? And so I think that, you know, we are inconsistent with our investment across different facets of our life. And I think that's the integration component. I got to integrate my life into my calendar, not necessarily figure out how to balance these two things, these three things that are completely distinct because they're not, because you know what? They all center, start and end with me. You better preach. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That was yes. powerful. 
you know, as I'm listening to you and I love what you said about the getting dating your friends. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that difference between balance and integration, because we you know, the reality is we're in a capitalist society. And so we're all expected if we're going to be a part of the capitalist machine to constantly be working and being productive and and prioritizing rest, prioritizing our friends, prioritizing ourselves is counter to that capitalist narrative. Only if you allow me. And yeah, and so that's what I was getting ready to ask, right? So for those folks who are listening and they're like, I don't know how to get off of this, this capitalist train. I don't know how to not allow it to run me. Uh-huh. What would you suggest they do to kind of start? I have one word. You ready? I'm ready. Yes. Boundaries. Oh, so, yes. Go ahead. Like, just from a boundary perspective in general, like, people treat you how you allow them to treat you, right? I was that known person in certain work environments where I was responding to, I would respond to your email in five minutes. If you email me at one o'clock in the morning and I was responding to your email in five minutes, you email me at five o'clock in the morning and I lived to make all my bosses happy. And, but you know, I had an employee say to one of my coworkers say to me once, she said, I said, you know, sometimes you send a Slack message at the 2 a.m. and it gives me a little bit of anxiety because I don't know, I can't tell if you want me to respond right away. And I was like, well, actually, I just sent it because I wanted to get it off my chest. And like, I, you know, I knew you'll wake up to it. And she was like, I didn't, that wasn't the vibe I got though. And I was like, you know what? Let's establish a boundary. I'm not going to slack you before eight o'clock. I'm not going to email you before eight o'clock. And, you know, here's another reality check. I'm not a physician who delivers babies. I'm not an emergency room doctor. There's no one who's going to die because I did not respond to an email by the time somebody wanted it to be responded to. And I think it's perspective too, right? So I think that, you know, you can create boundaries in your workplace. And quite frankly, one thing that I've learned about this capitalistic society is that, honey, I am a producer. Like I produced more than any of my peer groups anywhere I've been. And so when it comes to, who needs who? Oh, honey, you need me more than I need you. And don't get it twisted. This talent is transferable and this talent is easily picked up other places. So if you're not going to be out here treating me like I'm a whole human working for you and that I'm better producing for you when I'm happier and more well integrated, then I'm sorry that you're so, so short-sighted because let me tell you, I left a job once and they had to hire two people that they paid 50% more each just to do the job that I was doing. So honey, you had me at a discount. Don't get it twisted. I know my worth. I know my value. And what I'm going to do is in this capitalistic society, I'm not going to let you sit here and gaslight me like I'm supposed to just be slaving away for you like all the time as if I don't produce a lot of good work please, you can miss me with that. And so I think it's about boundaries and knowing your worth and then calling it out because quite frankly, <laughs> it's always like when you're, when you're talented and you know you're talented, they, they don't want to lose you. And you know, quite frankly, 
I mean, I hate to say it, but when you look like us and you talented and they just like lose you with their negligence, baby, that's not good for them. But that's something that they got to deal with. That's not our problem. Exactly. Sis got options. Okay. Mm -hmm. She said, y'all need me more than I need you. Come on. I Mm -hmm. love it. That's how we have to be though. And I said, I thought about the other question that I wanted to ask you. And I know we're coming to a close, but I feel like we can talk to you all day. You talked a bit about writing those love letters to yourself on Mondays. What are some of the other ways that you validate yourself? Because some people, many people go to social media for that validation. They post that picture in the morning to get those likes to start their day off, right? What are you doing behind the scenes to validate yourself? So a few things, right? You know, Dr. Brene Brown, she's one of my favorite psychologists. I'm going to meet her one day. We're going we gonna to have a good glass of wine together. We're going to like chop it up. But, you know, she points out that we live in an area, a time of scarcity. So the first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning is, man, I didn't get enough sleep. The last thing we think about before our head hits the pillow is, you know, dang, I didn't get enough done. And, you know, that is your most vulnerable time of the day because of the scarcity mindset. And so I don't use social media in the morning. I don't even really use technology like that. And right before I go to bed, because I need to be grounded in my own life and not in a scarcity moment, being super concerned with what everybody else is doing and achieving with their life. That's, that's one. Another thing is that you know, when I wake up, I'm very much a like no technology person. I, my phone's over here. I read a a daily devotional for women, right? It's just like, it's like, okay, let me get on my two feet. I also, I, I, I get up, I do 25 pushups, then I get up and I do my daily devotional and I'm like, all right, cause I get my blood pumping. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. I'm up, I'm up, let's go. And that's also very helpful. And the last thing I'll do is you know, I have a check-in with myself and I'm like, Isa, what's, what's the gap you're feeling? What what is the insecurity you're feeling now? Right. And I will take a post-it and write a counter to that and put it right by my door. So I walk past it multiple times a day. You know, for instance, the one on my door right now on the orange post-it, it says, Isa, you can't control what you can't control. So focus your energies on what you can control and delve deeper to make a difference there because I can't allow this pressure to take over me, right? And so I think those are some of the things. And I honestly, the biggest point I have there is also experiment with what works for you, right? You know, I, I think that people don't experiment enough in general. They're like, oh, I tried that. It didn't work so much. Oh, you know, experiment. That is beautiful. Thank you. The therapist in me is it was loving all of that. All of your tips. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I was resonating with a lot of them because those are similar things that I tell my clients, right? Of it is an experiment. You do have to give yourself time and patience to figure out what is the thing that's gonna work for you. Mm-hmm. And getting up and doing 25 push-ups in the morning works for you. Maybe having a cup of tea and watching the sunrise works for someone else, Mm -hmm. right? And so figuring out what is the thing that works for you that allows you to get more in touch with yourself, your real self. That's beautiful. And so, Isa, 
this episode is airing the week your book launches. Mm. So <laughs> tell our audience as they're listening, because we know by the end of this episode, they're like, all right, we're ready. Where can we get this book? And can where can they find you? Well, they can buy the book anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places. I got Audible audiobook. I got the Kindle. Life Beyond Light. Logging off your screen and into your life. People can find me. I'm Isa D. Watson everywhere. Isa D as in Diane. Watson, Twitter, Instagram. But also just come to my website and email me because I don't, I don't like Instagram like that. So. Um, <laughs> this was so good. I said, thank you so yeah. much for hanging out with us. We appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. This is such important work. And I think as time continues to go on, people are going to realize the magnitude of what you're doing. They're going to continue to realize that anything that you're manifesting that we can support with, obviously, lady, if you're listening, go buy the book. Let's go support our sister here. Anything else that we can do to support what you're manifesting, Isa? Yeah, I do have something. I want all the listeners to invest in their joy. The more joyful they feel, the more joyful energy we have around the world and the less misery that we're trapped in. So that joy investment, that helps me as much as it helps you. All right, lady, you have two next steps. After listening to this episode, go get the book and invest in your joy. Isa, we appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon, lady. Thank you. Hey, lady. It's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, Please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast, or check out our website at HerSpacePodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I attract abundance and prosperity with ease.